Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. My name may or may not be Todd Hicksonbaugh, a.k.a. my real name, The Todd Father. We have a great episode for you today. Today we are talking with Suzanne Stabile, and we are talking with her about her brand new book, The Path Between Us. Okay, so this episode was a ton of fun to do. Just because I think it was we like getting free counseling. It was like getting free counseling, and Caleb and I learned how to deal with each other and how I'm better than him, and all sorts of things. I'm just kidding, Caleb. It's fine. Everybody knew anyways. And uh, it, it was it was great because getting to learn about not just the Enneagram. So for for those of you, by the way, who don't know what we're what in the heck we're talking about, we've done a couple of episodes where we've talked about the Enneagram before. Yep, specifically, I can't remember the episode number, but it's with Chris Hewerts. And if you're wondering, what the heck is the Enneagram? Stop what you're doing right now. Go, go back, listen to download that. the episode, and it'll give you a good overview of the Enneagram. And there's tons of there's tons of books out there, too, about the Enneagram. She's written a book. You're interviewing her about a new book that she just came out with. Yep. There's all sorts of books that you guys can read. The Enneagram's great. Or if you want to be lazy, which is fine, too, because it's not really being lazy, you can just go on Google. Google that junk. That's what I do for everything. Um, but anyways... Back to back to what we're talking about with her is um, we're talking about her it, with the Enneagram and how it plays out in relationships. Exactly. And I think it's fascinating because when I say relationships, don't just think romantic relations, relation, relationships, if I can say it. Think just everyday Friendship. interactions, friendships, job relationships where you have relationships with coworkers, uh, parents, you, your relationship with your parents. Siblings. Siblings, all of it. It's really relevant because it'll help to give you a great framework to understand, okay, if I'm a, because I'm a two, I'm a two, how should I relate to other people and how should people, what do people need to know when they relate to me? Exactly. And before we get into our interview, we have our Learner's Corner recommended resource of the week. And I actually have two things that I want to recommend. The first is... The Road Back to You, the book by Suzanne, and also I want to recommend this current book. But I also see on Todd's face that... Listen, he didn't tell me he was going to do that. I have a resource for you. This is the real resource. So we get a real... We get a bonus episode... A bonus resource. Whatever. Those are bonus... Those are bonus resources. Those are bonus resources. Uh, Mine's the real one. one. I'm salty. I'm salty. All right, so I have recently gotten onto this podcast. Again, I know we do podcasts every week. I literally just told Caleb, we got to stop recommending podcasts because Hence we do it all the time. the books. Hence the books. I hear you. Okay, whatever. Um, so this podcast I've really been into. It's by Andy J. Miller called the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. And I'm all about creativity. I'm all about learning about creativity, learning how to, get, how to sharpen those skills. And all of that. And he is an interesting guy. So I'm just going to read you a little bit about the podcast. It says, the creative pep talk helps you build a thriving creative career. Andy J. Pizza is here. Is it pizza or pizza? I don't know. Don't know. Neither do I. And you know what? He said it before, and I can't remember if it, whatever. We're just going to go with pizza. It says, Andy J. Pizza is here to help you find your creative gift, develop it, and connect it to the audience that needs to go, that needs it most. Creative pep talk will put the pep in your step. I have been obsessed with this podcast. Some of the guests he's had on here are, are really interesting. Uh, Danielle Evans. Um, I know he's had Andy Minio on in the past. All sorts of different people. 
He has worked with clients like Nickelodeon, Google, Oreo. He worked with Oreo. Let's be honest. That's awesome. Uh, Converse and all these different people. He's just a fascinating person to listen to. That's why I love his podcast. That is your real Learner's Corner approved resource of the week. So we really enjoyed our conversation with Suzanne and we're going to. You're about to learn a lot about us. Exactly. A lot. So here we go. Well, Suzanne, we're so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner today to talk about the Enneagram in your new book, The Path Between Us. I'm so excited to be here, Caleb. Thank you, guys. And I love talking about the new book. (laughs) You know, as we just get started, you know, why don't you give us, you know, a lot of our listeners are familiar with the Enneagram, but why don't you just give us a brief synopsis of about the Enneagram? Um. You know, I've said for a long time that if I'm going to do an elevator speech about the Enneagram, I need to be stuck between two floors for about 15 or 16 minutes. But I'm going to try to give it to you in much less time. Probably 3,000 years old, um, the Enneagram has gone through lots of um, change, but not transformative change. So it's consistently been the same wisdom for all these years and it teaches us that there are nine different personality types and as children we each gravitate toward one of the nine and then we live out of that in order to make our way in the world and it's it's how we manage wounds and feel safe and know who we are in relationship with lots of other people instead of limited to who we are in relationships with people that we feel extraordinarily safe with. And each number uh, has a distinct way of seeing the world and an underlying motivation that powerfully influences how that type thinks and feels and behaves. So when I uh, do a Know Your Number workshop, I'm I'm not a fan of any Enneagram test, and I'm very committed to it being taught orally because it was until the 1970s. Um, Anytime I'm going to teach a workshop, I start with your Enneagram number is determined by your motivation and not by your behavior. And so that stops some of our temptation to type other people as we go through our days. Got gotcha. So we what, with this new book, it's it's more about the enneagram as it pertains to relationships. Um, why is it important to pay attention um, to the enneagram as it relates to relationships? I think we are in a time when relationships are really suffering for several reasons. We're very polarized right now, and that's hard on relationships. We're all kind of uh, dualistic in our thinking, so we're either or instead of both and thinkers, which causes more polarization. We are um, dividing ourselves into tribes uh, very often with people who are just like us. And my hope is that we can use the Enneagram effectively if enough of us know it and practice it that we can bridge some difference between us and others who don't see the world exactly the way we do or who don't respond the way we do. So the bottom line answer is I'm trying to build community. 
um, and I'm trying to create communities where there are uh, varied opinions and ideas and limit the continuing tribalization that I see around me in church and in uh, government and in education, et cetera. And you may have talked a little bit about this kind of in this opening, but what's the benefit then to knowing um, the Enneagram dynamic in relationships? Like what, what, what benefit is that? I think that until people are exposed to the Enneagram or something like it, they tend to believe that we're all pretty much the same. And that for some reason, other people act in ways that are foreign to us but we're pretty judgmental when people don't uh, behave like we do. So I've been teaching for 25 years, and that means that over the years, I've gotten literally hundreds of letters and cards and messages, maybe probably thousands, um, of people telling me that the Enneagram saved their relationship with their spouse, with their siblings, with their adolescent children, with their in-laws, with their boss. Once you understand that people are making decisions based on a different way of seeing, as opposed to thinking that people are inadequate in how they make decisions, it changes the landscape for every relationship. Sure. Well, let's let's kind of jump into this thing. Um, then there's, I think you mentioned it, There's there's nine different numbers. And we just wanted to kind of jump in and and start to kind of delve into what um, what that looks like. Yeah, because you know, I abs- I absolutely love how you kind of split up to the book or split up the book. You know, you talk about each set of numbers and you kind of talk about you know here's kind of what to expect from each number and you know if you're in a relationship with them, here's a couple of things that you need to know and and all of that stuff. And so just kind of as we get started, you know, we want to start with you know if you are um, if you are an eight, what are one or two things that eights or the challengers need to know about being in a relationship with someone? Well, eights are the number on the Enneagram that has the most energy. And they're also the number that uh, comes on pretty strong. So the first thing I would say is that not everybody can keep up with you if you're an eight. And secondly, I would say that I don't think eights are aware of how they affect other people. And I uh, think eights would need to know that they're the only number on the Enneagram that's energized by being part of conversations where people disagree. So all those things are tricky for relationships. Eights are impatient with people who can't keep up, and that's often an energy issue that has to do with the Enneagram. And uh, so I think I think eights are going to have to take the edges off a little mm-hmm. to make it in a world of people who are not as aggressive as they are. And so, like, what, like, let's, so you, you've kind of talked to the eight. Let's say that someone is in a relationship with an eight. What advice would you give the person who's in a relationship with the eight? Uh, the first thing would be a communication hint. And that would be if you want to communicate effectively with an eight, then you'll need to be brief and straightforward and truthful. 
And eighths don't need you to uh, wrap that up in a package. They, uh, they don't need you to soften anything for them. Eights want all the facts. It doesn't have to be good news, but they want all the news. Mm-hmm. And the second thing I would say is that very often, eights mistake tenderness for manipulation. So you may have to um, lean into tenderness slowly in a relationship with an eight so that they can adapt to your way uh, of being softer probably than they are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I just got to let you know, you know, I was reading through uh, your book and I, uh, you know, I was reading through the eight chapter and it's uh, in a relationship that I have. And, you know, it literally like the light switched on for me after reading that chapter, because I thought, oh man, that's, you know, it's, it's just my dad. I'm just thinking through, you know, that's his, that's his personality type. And it really helped me understand, you know, kind of how he's wired and why he does the things that he does. That makes me so happy because I, I'm convinced that if people would um, give the instruction in each chapter a try, it's proven already tried and true for me in my relationships. And I, um, I think it would leave us with so much less regret. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was pretty funny because, you know, immediately after that, you know, I started talking with some of my siblings about it and, you know, they hadn't, they hadn't really known about the Enneagram that much. And so, you know, we kind of walked through, you know, kind of what they are. And, you know, I kind of ran through some of your descriptions and how they interact with, um, how they interact with me and how they interact with each other. And they were just like, they, they were like, man, you're reading my mail because yeah. of how well it's describing them. Oh, that makes me happy. I, I, I tried really hard in writing the book to be faithful and true to each of the nine numbers and to avoid as much as I could putting my spin or my personality on top of any of them. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, hey, we wanted to move on to nines, um, just because I can't wait to talk about this, because I, I'm in relationships with several people um, that are that are nines. So let's start off with um, first, which, by the way, for those of you listening, no, Caleb's not a nine. No, not we'll, gonna... get, we'll get to me in a second. <laughs> nines, are, they're, the, they're the peacemaker or the peacekeeper. So we we wanted to uh, we wanted to move on to nine. So what are one or two things that nines need to know about being in a relationship with other people? Uh, well, you know, my husband's a nine, and I have a son-in-law who's a nine, and a daughter who's a nine. So I live in nine <laughs> territory. I've learned a lot about them. And the first thing that I want them to know, uh, they they pretty much had enough tutoring from me that they picked it up. But nines need to know that problems don't fix themselves. Nines have a tendency to want to just wait and let things work themselves out. And very often, and they do that because they're avoiding conflict, but very often avoiding conflict causes conflict. So the first thing would be problems don't fix themselves. And the second would be that people can't read your mind. So you need to step up and tell people what you think and what you want and where, what movie you'd like to see and where you'd like to go to dinner. Because nines have kind of um, uh, a go-along mentality. 
they often don't care what movie you see or where you go to dinner, but they often do care and won't say. And, of course, eating out and going to a movie is the bottom of why that would be important. Uh, it has to do also with where would you like to live and what would you like to do? Do you want a graduate degree? Do you want to do more? Do you want to stay in this area? You know, nines um, merge with other people. and that's a lovely gift. Unfortunately, um, if you're a nine, you need to know that that pretty much sets you up for other people to take advantage of that if they don't know the Enneagram and if they don't love you well. Just just knowing a little bit about the Enneagram, does that also set nines up to be really vulnerable to being passive, becoming passive aggressive? I think it does in part. Uh, H9s and ones are in the anger triad. Mm-hmm. And they, because of the way they're put together, actually, they manage anger in three different ways. So for eights, uh, when they're angry, you know it. Anger's just straight up, and they're mad at you, and you know they're mad. But when it's over, it's over. And for nines, um, they are very concerned about fragmentation in relationships, and so very often they would feel um, threatened by being very aggressive with their uh, disappointment or their hurt. So they choose a passive-aggressive way, hoping that they can communicate that they aren't doing well or that they aren't happy without risking a disconnect in the relationship. Gotcha. So, so then on the flip side of that, what are some things that, that people need to know when, when they're in a relationship with a nine? Um, the first would be that nines need a lot of affirmation and they need a lot of affection. And nines are, are sure of themselves most of the time. Like they don't, uh, they don't self-deprecate. They don't put themselves down much. They're pretty sure of themselves, but, um, Unfortunately, that leads us to think that they don't need a lot of affirmation, and they do because they think their presence doesn't matter very much. So they need affirmation, and most nines really like affection. The second thing I would say is that um, I think it's really important that we keep in mind in relationship with nines that agreement doesn't always lead to participation. Um, just because if, if, if I said to my husband today, because it's beginning to look like spring in Dallas, and if I said to my husband today, do you think we should plant some flowers this week? And he said, yeah, that'd be a great idea. That doesn't mean he's planning on participating. That means he agrees <laughs> that it's a good time to plant flowers. So there's that part. And participation doesn't necessarily indicate commitment. So to use the same analogy, planting flowers is not necessarily a commitment to watering and taking care of the flowers. Mm -hmm. So we have to be pretty careful about navigating, finding out in our relationships with nines how much they want to participate and how committed they are to any activity that's ongoing. You know, kind of the next number is the one or the perfectionist. You know. Can you can you speak to them, the person who's the one, and what are you know one or two things that might be important for them to remember in being a in being in a relationship with someone? 
ones uh, walk into a room and see what's wrong. It's how they see. And you can never change how you see. Uh, Enneagram Wisdom teaches that you can change what you do with how you see. But you're always going to take in information in the same way. So I think ones have to learn to be aware that other people don't notice all the error that they do. And secondly, they need to be gracious when other people don't do things the way they think they should be done. Mm-hmm. You know, ones are the people who kind of clean up behind you. Um, lots of uh, people in workshops where I am from college level to older adults uh, talk about being parented by a one. That's a tricky space in relationships because uh, ones come behind their children and redo what the children did, and it's a message that uh, you didn't do it good enough. And that's that's hard. So ones need to watch that. And um, ones have a constant inner critic that is like a voice that they hear most of the time. and. It's really important that they not believe everything they hear from that critic. They need to get reflection from the people around them about who they are and how they are perceived in the world because the critic is always negative. And it's a, it's a really imbalanced way for ones to figure out who they are. And so for the one, what's, what's important for someone who's in a relationship with the one to keep in mind? The most important thing, I think, would be to not be patronizing about their desire to perfect things. Um, when ones are, are trying to make something better, we often say to them it's good enough. And that's disrespectful, uh, actually. But of course, you wouldn't be uh, accountable for that if you didn't know the Enneagram. And when you're in a Conflict with a one, it's very important to let them know that you want to resolve it, that you're not going anywhere. There's a conflict, and you want to work through it, and that you're not going anywhere. And in that same um, part of our lives, I would say that in relationships with a one, it's very important that you admit the mistakes that you make. Ones are so super aware of the mistakes they make. If you make a mistake and don't own it, that's very difficult for them. Right. Well, here's the one that I that I that I haven't been able to wait for. Um, yes, y'all, I'm I'm a two on the enneagram, or um, as 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 it's kind of called in in enneagram lingo, the helper. So what what are one or two things that twos need to know about being in a relationship with other people? Um, the first thing, Todd, that I would talk about is this. Uh, you and I, and I'm a two also, mm. we are able to sense what other people need without them telling us. So the fact that we can sense and meet the needs of other people and that we like to do that and it offers us a lot of security and good feelings, mm-hmm. we make a big mistake when we expect other people to be able to sense and meet our needs. So um, I would bet that as a two, you've gotten your feelings hurt because you needed something and nobody met that need. All the time. Yeah. And so what we have to do is ask for it. 
and twos that haven't known the Enneagram or that don't know this piece of the Enneagram tends to think that if you have to ask for it, it kind of doesn't count. Yeah, I, I just, I literally just mouthed, I hate asking for it. <laughs> right. It's not, it's not easy for us because the way we see other people don't have to ask us. So um, I've had to learn, and it'll get better for you now that you have this piece of information to work with, that people are happy to help me. They just don't know what I need because they don't see like I see. So that's one big thing. Another thing would be that um, sometimes the people that we help don't want our help. So I, I started asking myself some questions in order to figure out who I was supposed to be helpful to. So when I start to move towards somebody, I ask myself, um, why am I moving toward this person to be helpful? Uh, What do I expect in return? And then I've added a third, which is, and does the other person even want my help? And that's been a, a really good practice for me. Okay, I gotta ask for not for the only person on this call who isn't a two. Yeah. What can what can a non two person do to be in a really like? What are some helpful things that I can do to help Todd or to help my other two friends? Like, what are some things that I need to keep in mind or do? Okay, this is the number one thing. Twos can only process verbally. <laughs> oh my gosh, you are you are just enlightening me right now, Suzanne. Because he gets annoyed by the fact that I constantly have to verbally process things. Exactly. So I'm just telling you, uh, Caleb, you're because you're a three. You're a you are a bullet point person. Oh yeah. And Todd and I are paragraph people. <laughs> That's so true. So. Um, we not and we sometimes have to verbalize the same thing more than once in order to think it through. So that's the number one thing. Twos can only process verbally. And the second is while we're happy to not be the lead person or the person in charge or the person out front, uh, we're good about being second, but we always need to be recognized for our contributions. And sometimes we support uh, numbers that are more aggressive, and then we're never acknowledged for what we brought to the table. And that's very hard for us. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we kind of looked at Todd. Let's put the spotlight on me being a three or the performer or achiever. What are some things that I need to know about being in relationships with other people? Well, uh I'm going to skip to the second part of the question since I'm following up on what you just said. And other people need to know that you're usually quite happy to have the spotlight on you because threes like to lead and they like to be seen and they like that because they want people to follow them and they want people to follow them because they are good cheerleaders for other people and they think they can help you be successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So um, here's the deal. Here's back to what you need to know about other people. You can't set goals for other people. That's theirs to do. Thank you for thank you. 
<laughs> Todd, you need to send me a check. <laughs> By the time we hang up, you you gonna owe me. All right. So, Caleb, you can't set yeah. goals for other people. That's theirs to do. Yeah. However, you are a really good goal setter, long term and short term. Yep. So you're good at participating with other people in helping them set their own goals because you know all about that. Yep. Wow. Yeah. And uh, the second thing I would say is that um, threes generally feel love for what they do and not for who they are. Yep. And you can't be loved for who you are unless you're willing to risk some vulnerability in letting people know who you are. Yep. So that's a that's a hard one, but I think really important for threes. I, I oftentimes call him my android because <laughs> I call him my android because it, it, it yeah, I, I definitely can see how that how that happens because sometimes emotion or letting other people's know letting other people know kind of um yeah, on the emotional side or or inside of his head. It's a struggle for me. It's not yeah. something that I naturally do. That's why I call him my android. Yeah, I think it's really uh that's very good. Can I use that? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to take the android with me on the road cuz that's very helpful. Please take um, it. Let me just say on the other side. When we're in a relationship with a three, threes are not interested in rehashing things from the past. Their orientation to time is the future. Yep. And if they've managed to get through something that involved lots of feelings and um, tears and gnashing of teeth, they don't really ever want to go back and talk about that again. Um, the second thing is threes come on pretty strong because they're uh, one of the three aggressive numbers. And when they come on strong, uh, it'd be good for you to remember that it's helpful if you're softer than they are. Okay, interesting. You're I like think, I think Todd's going to be sending you. You're like giving us. You're lot. like you're like giving us <laughs> marriage counseling or something right no, now, and we're not no. even married. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's sometimes depending on how much time you spend with the person you work with, um, you're with them far more than you are. Uh, with your spouse or your partner. So yeah. one of the things I really worked on in writing The Path Between Us was uh, focusing on all kinds of relationships mm -hmm. and not just um, love relationships. Sure, yeah. sure. Well, let's let's move on to, to fours. Um, fours, you call them the romantic? I do. So... What let let's talk a little bit about fours. What do people need to know about being in a in a relationship with them? The first thing you need to know is that in the tradition that I come from, uh, we believe that uh, a high percentage of the global population is sixes. We think there are more sixes, significantly more sixes than any other number. But I believe there are fewer fours than any other number, and. Um, I am pretty sure that there are a lot of people who don't know a four well. Mm. So that's tricky. That's a tricky place for fours. The second thing is uh, fours are the most complex number on the Enneagram. 
So having laid the groundwork with those two things, let me just say that I think if you're a four, you need to be aware that you're going to meet lots of people who can't handle your emotional volatility. That They just don't know how to manage all of that. Fours uh, have um, mood swings um, probably 10 times an hour. And so they don't even know how to manage that. It's very difficult for people in relationships with them to know how to manage that. And fours need to keep that in mind. And secondly, fours need to think about the fact that there's no such thing as a perfect relationship. Relationships are messy and imperfect and unpredictable. And um, fours are kind of looking for the perfect relationship. And when that's your goal, then that expectation causes lots of pain and lots of trouble. Uh, I do some work with the Enneagram and the recovery community. And one of the lines from recovery communities is that every expectation is resentment waiting to happen. Mm. And fours, because of the uniqueness of how they see the world, have to be pretty mature to not have lots of expectations and especially expectations for relationships. Mm. So what do people need to know um, if they're in a relationship with a four? Probably uh, one of the most important things would be that um, you shouldn't be afraid to tell fours when you feel pressure to be more than you can be. Fours uh, intuitively but unintentionally set the bar for people they're in relationship with pretty high. And... um, Lots of times we can't handle any more than our part in relationship with fours. And another real important piece is don't tell fours to cheer up. Fours are very comfortable with melancholy. They're not sad and they're not depressed. They find melancholy to be comfortable. And from their way of seeing, a, a little more realistic perhaps than some numbers that are a little more upbeat. So um, keep in mind, they're probably not sad, they're probably not depressed, and they really don't do well when people tell them to cheer up. You know, moving on to, you know, the, the next one, the five, or the investigator, you know, what are some things that fives need to know about being in a relationship with someone? Let me start by saying that fives have the that fives are the only number on the Enneagram that have a measured amount of energy every day. So eights have the most energy, nines have the least energy. Uh, and let me qualify that. The reason for that is that nines are boundaried internally and externally. And so that means they're trying to keep in anything that would cause trouble, and they're trying to keep out anything that would steal their peace. Fives have a measured amount of energy, so they have the same amount every day. And every and you can't save up. And every phone call, every handshake, every encounter with other people costs them part of that energy. So that's the groundwork for what I'm going to say next, and that is... Um, if 
If you're a five and you're unaware of the Enneagram, you're unaware of the fact that you can't have a relationship without giving up some of your time and some of your privacy and ultimately some affection. And fives hold pretty tight to time uh, and energy because they have a measured amount. So that's real important. Secondly, uh, fives have to learn a way to tell people about their limited energy because uh, we tend to look at fives and use language like uh, they seem to be very reserved or not forthcoming or um, very shy or then we read them as not wanting to be with us or not wanting to be at an event. And often those things are all inaccurate. The five is trying to stay at the event and manage their energy while they do that. And fives have to teach people that there's a difference in privacy and secrets. So fives need to be clear about things they feel private about so that other people don't think they just have lots of secrets. So on, on the flip side, if someone's in a relationship with a five, what are a couple of things that they need to be aware of? The first thing would be don't push them to socialize with other people. That has to come naturally to them, and if you push them, it's more awkward for fives. And they already feel socially awkward, so just remember, they don't do well when they're pushed. And if you ask a five what they feel, they'll tell you what they think every time. <laughs> so if you really want to know what they feel, you're going to have to go at it from a different direction, ask in new ways, or you'll only get thoughts. But be aware that it costs them some of their comfort to share their thoughts with you, too. So don't take that for granted when you decide to push a little for feeling. Sure. Um, okay, so you mentioned it already, um, that the, this, this next one, the loyalist or a six, is, is, in your opinion, I think you said it's, it's potentially the, the most populated number on the Enneagram. Is that what you said? Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about them. Um, let's, and so what do we, what, what do sixes need to know um, about being in relationships with other people? Sixes are loyal and they're faithful and it's, and they put that above other things. And sixes are the number on the Enneagram that's the most concerned about the common good. So it's very important that they not expect other people to be as loyal to the groups that they belong to and as faithful to the organizations that they're a part of as the six is. Because other people tend to not go to every meeting. And a six would always want to do their part and want to be where they're supposed to be. And they have an expectation that other people in the group would want the same thing. So th that's the first thing. And um, maybe the most important thing is that other people don't struggle with fear the way sixes do. I rename it uh, anxiety because I find sixes to be very concerned about possible future events. And other people don't carry that anxiety the way sixes do. So I think sixes have to know that. On the flip side, um, 
what should people know when they're entering into a relationship or when they're in a relationship with sixes? Sixes are the people who, when they ask you how you're doing and you start to tell them, they stop and listen. And, you know, most numbers um, say, how are you today? But if you start to tell them, they, they really didn't want to hear about how you are. That was just their way of saying, hey. Um, sixes really like to get to know you based on the details of your life, like what you did today. They don't do great with not much. So um, that's one thing. Uh, they need attentiveness in conversation. And they need somebody who's interested in the details of their lives. And secondly, they require a lot of reassurance. Um, sixes tend to think that you're going to leave, that they can't trust you. And so you need to show up and you need to remind them that you're going to keep showing up. Mm. So as we, you know, kind of move towards uh, the end of going through the numbers, you know, our last one is the seven or the enthusiast. And so what's, what's a couple of things that the enthusiast needs to keep in mind in their relationships? Sevens have a, a misunderstanding about themselves, and that is that they believe that they have a full range of emotions. And the reality is they live most of their lives from a half range of emotion, and it's the happy half. And so sevens need to learn that it's not true for other numbers that they're living with a half range of emotions and that it's very tricky for relationships to be able to accommodate that. So sevens have to work on having a fuller range of emotion and being allowed to, being able to stay present to uh, disappointment or uh, pain for a longer time than they intuitively would. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is, uh, you can't be responsible to a relationship and you can't be dependable in a relationship while keeping all of your options open. So sevens have to learn that spontaneity is okay in good measure. But, uh, sometimes you have to make a commitment to things and stick to it without considering other options halfway through. Gotcha. And so for the person who's in a relationship with a seven, what do they need to keep in mind? Um, Two or three things come to mind for me immediately. And the first is don't try to get sevens to commit to a specific schedule, the same routine every day, every week, every month. They just can't do that. Um, They need flexibility. And they thrive on spontaneity. So uh, you have to be that. Secondly, I would say it's very, very difficult for sevens to stay in a relationship if the other person is never happy. Or if they can't do things that will make the other person happy. And uh, another one that's kind of a surprise to most people is that sevens love to be with other people. And they love time alone. And it's a misread to think that sevens don't really value and enjoy time alone. Okay. Now, 
I just got a couple of questions that I'm curious about. You know, with me being a three, you know, what 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 might be like the the number on the Enneagram that I tend to have the most tension with? Which I mean, I don't know that's kind of like if you're not able to answer that question, that's fine. I'm just curious. Sure. So I I'm gonna preach a little bit and then I'll answer it. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> this is so awesome. he, he, here's what I wanna say. The Enneagram is different than every other system that's like it because it's non static. So at any given time you can be healthy in your number yeah. or average or unhealthy or in excess and pathology is a, a real thing too in relationship to the Enneagram, but we don't need to discuss that at all. So what happens in that movement up and down from healthy to average and unhealthy? The the real truth is if you can stay 60% or 70% of the time in the top half of average and some in healthy, mm-hmm. You can be in a good relationship with any number who can do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So the first goal is that everybody wants to be healthy and work toward that. And then when you're healthy in your number, you can pretty much find your way with any number who also is working to be healthy. Now, in terms of relationships and places that you might struggle, um, it's a challenge for threes and ones to work together on a project because ones think that every step of a task should be done correctly and threes cut corners. Mm-hmm. So I think at work, ones and threes did have just, to be mindful. Did you just say that Caleb cheats? <laughs> no, you said that Caleb cheats. <laughs> and you tried to use me. Yeah, come on. Yeah, I would that. never do that. Yes, you would. You would pull in anybody you could. I'm just beyond pulling in. <laughs> I'm too old for you, Todd. Thank you. You can't use me. You can't use me like that. Ugh, this is rough. Don't get excited, Caleb, because Todd's next, and you know who knows what's coming with that. All right. So the other thing I would say is, is I think because threes take in information with feelings, but they don't use feelings to process or make sense of the information they take in. Mm-hmm. I think feeling types are kind of hard for threes. So I I would think that one of the things that you two would struggle with is after this podcast, um, it's so good, I'm sure, that Todd is going to want to visit with you, Caleb, about what we talked about and about how it went and about things he learned about you and the thing he learned about himself, right? And Caleb, you're going to be on to the next thing. It's like, we already did that. You're so wrong. (laughs) That is not... Actually, it is exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, so there's that. (laughs) Okay, something that you said, it really um, intrigued me of just the, and you know, I've heard of it before of, you know, moving from healthy to unhealthy, but what, what would you say might be some steps for, you know, for people to move towards health? Does it look different for each type or is it just kind of universal? It looks different for each type. So. I'm going to touch on something that we don't have time to talk much about, but there are added resources, trinityministry.com. So most of all my workshops are recorded. So not to do an advertisement, but I'm back. 
something that a lot of people may not know much about. So yeah, that's, and, and we'll link to it in the show notes so people can check right. it out too. That'd be great. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about stances for a second. So um, triads, which is two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one, yep. are are determined by which is dominant, thinking or feeling or doing. Stances, one, two, six, three, seven, eight, four, five, nine, are determined by which of the three, thinking, feeling, and doing, is repressed. Relationships are greatly enhanced when people learn about stances and work to bring up the center of intelligence that's repressed. So to put that in good terms for you guys, uh, Caleb, you are feeling repressed. Yeah. And so you need to work on bringing up feelings, not pushing down something else. Mm -hmm. And Todd, you're thinking repressed. And you need to work on bringing up thinking. Now, being feeling repressed doesn't mean that you don't have any feelings. Mm -hmm. Caleb, in your instance because you're on the central triangle of the Enneagram, being feeling repressed means that uh, you take in information with feelings, but then you don't decide what you're going to do using feelings. Mm -hmm. And Todd, for you, thinking repressed doesn't mean that you don't think, but if if you'll watch yourself, my guess would be that you think about relationships probably 80 to 85% of the time. Yeah. And that's just not productive. Relationships don't require that much thinking. That's just where our focus is and our energy follows our focus. So relationship work overall for every number is if you uh, don't know about stances, you can get the CDs or the MP3 through our website. And you learn about your stance and then you learn to bring that up to bring more of that to relationships. And honestly, it changes everything. Yeah, you're, you're helping me so much, too, because, you know, I, I'm a three, but I have a two wing. And yeah. so even you just hearing talking about, you know, Todd, I'm resonating with a lot of it as sure. well. You know, just as um, we're kind of moving towards the end, one thing that I would like for you to talk about is kind of the dynamic that stress and security um, play as it pertains to some of the Enneagram numbers as well. Okay. Um, if you have an opportunity to look at an Enneagram, then what you'll find is that um, there are lines connecting your number to two other numbers. Uh, and that doesn't include the lines on the circle. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you look at, uh, let's play a little bit with Todd's number. So if you um, look at two, And you'll notice that the arrow goes toward eight, and that's because twos go to eight in stress. And if you go against the arrow, twos go to four in security. So um, depending on how much you know about the Enneagram, those numbers are very different. So uh, that's an intuitive move that happens when you're feeling really stressed or really secure, but you can learn enough about your stress and security number and about how that works to choose to take on some behavior from those two numbers in order to navigate the world in a better way. 
My teaching is that you can't take care of yourself without behavior from the number that you go to in stress. And you can't experience holistic healing that lasts without some behavior of the number that you go to in security. So uh, when a two uh, is in uh, the top half of average and something happens that causes stress and they kind of tumble down through average and then tumble down through unhealthy, then what they get to is a place where they intuitively, because of the mystical grace of the Enneagram, have some access to some eight behavior, which is how they take care of themselves. So it's hard for Todd and me to take care of ourselves by saying no to people when we don't have space for another thing. It's difficult for us to say no to people without giving lots of excuses and lots of reasons. It's difficult for us um, to um, stand firm when other people seem to have their feelings hurt or don't seem to like the decision we're making. So we get all of the ability to do that from the high side of an eight. Mm -hmm. And um, so that would be an example of a stress move. Uh, an example of a security move for twos is that uh, twos are almost always focused outward and fours are almost always focused inward. And um, you kind of have to meet somewhere in the middle of that line for either number to do well in life. Um, fours uh, become um, pretty self I wouldn't say self-aware or, or self-conscious. I, I guess I'm just going to back off of that and say that there's a chance that force can be pretty selfish if they don't uh, experience some stress in two and focus outward. And I just finished the book, and there's no way I could have written The Path Between Us focused outward all the time. Mm -hmm. I had to have time when I was focused inward and able to pull out of me what's there that might be helpful. I oftentimes say that um, it doesn't come naturally for me to do it, but it's oftentimes one of the best things that I can do is I call it white space. So I have time just to think. Right. And like I forced myself and I have ways that I do that yeah. where I sit down during the week. And it might only be once or twice a week where I'll schedule time to sit and think about whatever. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I understand what you're, what you're saying. And that's a really important thing to do because uh, we overcommit and then we feel taken for granted and then we, you know, it's just messy, messy. You know, just as we're getting ready to conclude, can you just talk a little bit about, you know, the impact that the Enneagram has had on you and maybe one or two things that you've learned through your time with the Enneagram? Sure. Um. My husband and I have been married for 30 years. Um, his name is Joe. But Joe was a Catholic priest until he was 40. And I was a single mom with three children. And um, he and I, I was, he and I married. He adopted the three children. And we had a four. And almost immediately and unexpectedly, he found himself called into ministry in the United Methodist Church, where he's been a pastor for the last 29 years. And um, all of that 
required a lot of understanding of difference. And, um, you know, it's interesting to me to watch today as families are trying to blend two families together or um, blend uh, a couple that each have children from a former marriage. It's, it's a tricky thing to do. And I think the Enneagram helped us with that probably more than anything. I would also say that now our children range in age from 30 to 40, and we have seven grandchildren and an eighth on the way, and they all live uh, here in the Dallas Metroplex where we live. So we're together quite a bit. And our family, uh, because we all know the Enneagram, we have less pain and strife than I think we would if we didn't. There's a lot of acceptance that comes with knowing the Enneagram. And I think it makes all the difference when you can understand that other numbers just don't see like you do and they don't feel what you feel and they don't think the way you think. So I could um, go on and on about how it's helped in our family. But I, I would like to say that I think when we limit it to Love relationships and family, we've, we've missed a lot of what the Enneagram can do. So let me tell you about a couple of other places where I work. Um, I've worked in a couple of hospitals here in the Dallas area for a number of years and teaching the Enneagram. And they have reported that they have uh, higher patient satisfaction and lower employee turnover rate. Uh, following their staff's staff's learning the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. I also uh, spent five years working with veterans. And it was remarkable to find out how many veterans, when they come home from active duty, identify as the number they go to in stress, as opposed to the number that they truly are at their core. So... uh, it's unending almost, it yeah. seems to me. Yep. Well, Susan, we've really enjoyed talking with you today on the podcast. If people want to continue to learn from you and pick up, you know, your new book, The Path Between Us, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, you, get, you can follow us at lifeinthetrinityministry.com. Uh, all of our ways of getting in touch with me on social media will be listed there. Mm-hmm. Also. Um, you can uh, buy the book from Amazon. You can buy the book at InterVarsity Press. Uh, and very soon, you'll be able to buy it at Barnes & Noble and other booksellers. So awesome. it's coming. Yep. Yep. Well, awesome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. I had a great time. Caleb J. Mason. Great interview. What's a takeaway that you had? I think one of the biggest takeaways that I've had is just being willing to develop the the stuff in your life that you don't naturally develop you know especially mm-hmm. i feel like for me um, we talked about it in the interview a lot is that i am very quick to move on to the next thing which isn't always healthy but sometimes um, it is which, some, which sometimes, sometimes it's a good thing sometimes it is healthy and sometimes it is a good thing but one of the consequences of that is that I can be very quick to ignore my emotions so I can move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. 
but I feel like something that um, that I've really grown in in probably the last probably four or five to six months is becoming more in touch with my emotions. You guys, you guys who don't know him personally, you would be you don't know this, but that actually it's weird. I know. In fact, it's funny because I'll joke with my my family has been uh, poking at me a little bit and making fun of me a little bit because um, <laughs> because I've started to cry whenever I'm watching some TV Which shows and some was movies. unheard of, unheard of. I know. So I just didn't cry, and now I cry like all the time. Like we, I was like. I cry, so I watched the show This Is Us. I cried during that. Oh, he's one of, okay. He's one of those people. I cried during freaking Black Panther. Okay, I cried during Black Panther too, but that's okay. That's fair that's though. For, yeah. That's yeah. fair though. But I mean that's that's one of the things that I'm learning about. Also, the other thing that I'm learning about, and this freaking rocked my world whenever she talked about it. Not setting goals for other people unless they oh ask my for my help. Expectations, yeah. Have so, okay, I'm not even going there. <laughs> I love you, Caleb. Love you too, Todd. <laughs> Is there anything that stood out to you? You know, I guess for me, it, it was hilarious. One of the things that she said, and this is just a personal thing, and then I'll talk about something that I think applies to everybody, is, um, you know, on a personal note, she said something in there about, hey, Todd, not everybody needs your help, and not everybody wants your help. And for me, like, I... I want to go out of my way always to be able to uh, make people feel as comfortable as possible, make people feel welcomed, and make sure that, you know, if something is wrong, that I can be, that they can, they know I am there, and that's just how I function, and uh, it's funny because, uh, you know, I've just been trying to be more aware of that since we did that episode of thinking, okay, is this a situation where I am simply imposing myself on them, or is this a situation where they actually could use advice or use help it's just so funny because now i can now i'm thinking about it uh, and then, and then in, just in terms of, of everyone i think the important thing to do with this episode isn't simply to listen to it and say ha i know what my spouse is or i know that's the reason why you behave like that's not what this is about i would suggest buying the book i'd suggest doing some research on the enneagram and do it for you don't do it for other people um and figure out what your type is and as Caleb likes to say to me, Todd, you need to work on your stuff. Boom. Boom. So if you've learned a lot from this episode, which I'm sure that you have, the best way that you can show your appreciation is by leaving us a rating and writing a review of the podcast. Do it. On Apple Podcasts. And the best way to make sure that you don't miss our next episode is by subscribing to our podcast and whatever podcast player you use. And you ain't going to want to miss that junk. And by subscribing to it, you will guarantee that you will not miss the next episode. Do it. Let us know what you're learning about. If you get the Enneagram book, tag us in it. You know, take a picture of it. Take a picture of it. Tag us at the Learner's Corner on Instagram, at Learner's Podcast on Twitter. Or just let us know what you're reading, what you're learning, what podcast you're listening to in general as well. Do it. So I'm saying do it. Why? I don't know. I don't know why you do half the stuff Whatever. that you do. So thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Learner's Corner Podcast. My name is Kayla Mason. My name is Todd Hicksonball. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing. Deuces, y'all.